на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. We're going to focus entirely upon the RPL matters this week, taking stock of where each team currently lies going into the final five games of the season. To do so, I'm joined by the usual suspects in David Sanson. Hello, hello. And Richard Pike. Hello, hello James, hello David, how are we all? I would say I'm good, but the one thing we were all hoping for has kind of not took place this season. I mean, of course, some Senate fans will be very happy, and rightfully so, with their efficiency. But we were really hoping for a close title race this season, and and that really doesn't look the case. Zenit, since the defeat of Ruben, have been ruthlessly efficient. They've won four in a row now. They currently lie seven points clear of Spartak. And with Rota, Ufa and Tambov, three of their final four games remaining, there seems to be less and less points where they could seemingly slip up. So, Richard, you kept an eye on Zenit's 2-1 win over Sochi the weekend. What did you think of the performance? It's an interesting one trying to, to analyse Zenit, really, because they've They've not been as good as what they've been in previous seasons. I think there's definitely been a drop off this season. But again, the game against Sochi, it was it was kind of just a very efficient performance from them. Just just ju- doing just enough, I think. Um, they got a bit of a shock from time to time with Sochi in their pressing game. I think that sometimes caused them a few issues, and we've seen that before in Europe this season. Obviously, the teams that they played in Europe this season, like Dortmund, for example, do the pressing much better than someone like Sochi does because obviously they've got better quality players but Sochi's blueprint of pressing them you know sometimes yielded rewards in that match and obviously they they took the lead against Zenit but um but Zenit showed some character and they came back into it and Sardo Asmoon rediscovered his form at um at just the opportune right moment you know it was uh, the second goal in particular was really good it was a diving header from a superb cross from uh, Douglas Santos on the left flank and Zenit did just enough again. Um, they, I certainly think they've regressed a little bit since last season, as I mentioned earlier. But they've just got those individual players that can just dig you out of a hole if you're if you're struggling. You know, as Moon, he's a goal, he's a goal scorer. Zuba, he can, he's the complete forward at times, can do everything. You know, Wendell again was quite good in midfield. He gives him some good energy going forward. Um, yeah, they've just got those players that can just dig them out of a hole. Um, and again, just a just a just enough performance from them in a tough game. Such as even though they've tied a little bit, such in recent weeks, they're still a, a difficult side to beat at home. And um, Zenit did just enough. Um, and it is a bit of a shame that um, you know they've they've got themselves seven points clear now, and three of the final five, five games, as you mentioned, James, are against um, teams right down near the bottom. There's only really Krasnodar and. Lokomotiv who they've got to play where they could drop points so yeah it's just you know Zenit haven't been as good this season um, but yeah it's just a little bit frustrating that other teams haven't been able to take advantage of them um, dropping a little bit but yeah they've done just enough and um, you know credit to them for coming back from behind but um, I still think it's a big summer from them coming forward going forward Certainly there is there's a, there's a big not necessarily rebuilding job because they are still Right up there at the top of the league, very efficient, very ruthless domestically. But in terms of Europe and where Zenit look to be, where they want to be, and compared to the money that they spend year in, year out, 
there is a little bit of a rebuild that needs to be done, and it's a, it's an aging squad. But in terms in terms of individual quality, you've got the two top scorers in the league in Zuber and Azmoun so far once again on fifteen and thirteen each. Rakitsky, Yaroslav Rakitsky, and Douglas Santos are probably two of the best defenders in the league. Like the spine of the team is is just as good domestically as it was last year. And I mentioned it earlier, and I've got it on my notes from the game as well. It's just how ruthless Zenit were late on, and particularly Asmund in taking his two chances. I thought Sochi looked good in the first half. Defensively, they done the usual of looking to sit deep, pack the central areas, and try and nick one on the counter. They did get that goal for Bumistrov eventually. But early on, Zenit were very profligate, and that's been a little bit of an issue this season if Zuba or Asmund doesn't step up. thing is, is that Asmund once again did step up and and Zenit know how to win a league. This is a very experienced squad at the top end. Probably the most experienced in these matters of out of anybody there. Now, if we discuss the title race and a squad that's maybe not so experienced at the right end of the table, the when it comes to the nitty-gritty of the season down at the business end, all those famous cliches. David, you kept an eye on the Moscow Derby at the weekend where Zenit's two Big rivals played each other. What did you think of that match? And <clears throat> is the title race over? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, you already you already spoke about the the remaining Zenit fixtures, and uh, on current form, Crest and Lara are an easy game for Zenit as well. And also historically, you know, uh, they always they always seem to be Crest and Lara. So um, you know, Spartak. It was a must win for Spartak. You know, they're now they're now well adrift. Uh, seven points with five games. Zenit are going to get probably at least nine points out of their remaining 12. Um, and, it, and you therefore, you just can't see that that gap closing. Uh, even if they did win three and lose two, um, that's still not enough, I don't think. Therefore, in my head, it, is it? I don't think. No. So, um, it was a must win and uh, Loco just... Just carried on their good form, you know. They they've they've been very good since the turn of the year. Um, nothing flashy, but just efficient. You know, Hanu Hanu is a big fan of, of Kamano and Smolov, and they've they I think in the combined twelve games have scored like I want to say they've scored like twelve goals between them. That doesn't seem right, but but they've they've been very good. They've been very efficient. Zinovdinov uh, also seems to have sort of taken a take, taken a step forward. So. Um, yeah, it was it was not good from Spartak side. Obviously, they they lost the man to the red card. I mean, it was one of those where it was a, it was a tactical foul, obviously from Ayrton, because Jim McBeanov was going to score otherwise. He just took him down to the edge of box and had to hope for the best. And obviously, sort of the wounds. Obviously, smaller then tucked that free kick away, and then Loco just had to shut up shop second half. Really, there was you know nothing much doing for Spartak. Even with all the their creative players that they've got, but lacking and lacking ten men, they still dominated the game. Um, lacking, lacking that extra man. So um, you know, just just efficient defensive performance under Nikolic. You know, he's he's got them very well drilled. You know, um, we've talked about Pablo, who's been very very good for them since since he joined. Just imagine if they'd had him at the start of the season instead of Rykovic. You know, it'd be it'd be a world of difference for them. Hmm. So. Um, so yeah, it's well over at the top. Unfortunately, you know, we for for a few weeks, maybe two or three weeks, we thought we had a title race, and then in in one week, it was it was over. Um, 
Spartak are now dangerously close to losing out on second. You know, they're only one point ahead of Loco and Siska. Um, and who, who knows? You know, Loco are, are on ridiculously good form and don't look like they're going to lose anytime soon. So they need to keep it up for the last few games if they want to, at the very least, just secure that Champions League spot. I personally wouldn't be surprised if, or right now, expect I'd expect Loco to probably pick up that the other Champions League slot. And even though the Spartak fan in me does cry inside at that, but for the game, for Russian football right now, it's probably the better thing. If you look at Loco with the upward trajectory that they have, the way that they play, their style, the way they played last year in Europe, with this squad, which can only get better from that, get more experience from that, then for Russian football, for the coefficients, which is vital, vital in the next two years. It, Zenit and Loco look our best bet on paper, but <laughs> Zenit on paper in one in one domestically is totally different to Zenit on paper in Europe, unfortunately. No, it is for Kamano and Smolov. They got three goals and zero assists in 34 combined games before the winter break. And then after the winter break, it was in 12 games, David, they got 10 goals and three assists, which is an unbelievable turnaround from them too. And I was tweeting the game live, tweeting the game on the on the Twitter account for RFN. And I think at half time I mentioned just the efficiency a logo had, like you've, you've just mentioned, David. The, this side is totally built for pace and they look so much better since changing their style. He's taken Smolov, who's probably the most penalty box striker of all penalty box strikers, and turned him into a, like a, a deep-lying creative machine as a second striker. He's no longer trying to like constantly run off the shoulder or look for the touch off the shoulder. Kamano has taken that role and he's totally changed man. A changed man. His runs are very dangerous. At one point of the game, every single local attack looked very dangerous and Spartak looked like they were going to concede no matter what. And then it was the total opposite from the local side. Spartak just never really looked like scoring, to be frank. Richard, any final thoughts on yourself on the Moscow derby? Yeah, I'd just like to echo um, what you all said there. Um, I, I was really impressed with um, Lokomotiv under Nikolic once again. They're just very well drilled, well organised. Um, they, and like, like you said, the transformation of Smoloff and Kamano since the winter break. You know, Nikolic has had a um, really put in the hard yards in those winter training camps and um, has got a formation now which the players look very settled with. I'll echo David's thoughts on Pablo. I think he's been a superb signing for them, you know, a regular with um, Bordeaux in Ligue 1 um, for the last three, four years and it shows. Um, you know, he's been a rock-solid player at the back for them. I mean, even, you know, the the blow of losing Vedran Chorluka now might be cushioned a bit by um, by uh, Pablo being there because he could be the rock-solid leader in the defence at 29, 30, what, 30 years of age, which they need. And just the sheer amount of academy players that he's bringing through, you know, um, Nikolic. Now, you know, Rybczynski's been utilised as a right-back. The young the youngster who played left-back, his name escapes me, but he had a decent game at the weekend. Mukin has come in and actually now even displaced Kulikov as the prime defensive midfielder. Barinov coming back has been a big plus. So there's so many young academy products at Lokomotiv. Um, maybe just... Um, be interesting to see what they do in the summer. Maybe just one or two transfers, see if you can get some good players in. Um, um, they don't need a lot. I think they've got a good settled squad. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what Nikolic can do next season. Could they be the ones to chow in Zenit? Just quickly on Spartak 2, I've heard that um, Tedesco's been linked with the uh, Frank Eintracht Frankfurt job. That's one thing that I've heard. I think he's supposedly on the shortlist. Mm. 
So it'll be very interesting to see what happens regarding that. I think if I was the Spartak board, I'd be pushing Tedesco for a, a final, final decision in the next few weeks because Spartak really, if he is going to go, they need to get planning for next season. No, there's some decent candidates out there who could take the role and you know they, they really just need to get that sorted ASAP. You want ideally somebody announced and confirmed just before the end of the season. But yeah, um, hopefully Spartak can turn it around. I've been impressed with what they've done under Tedesco and I don't want the season to peter out um, because I've been impressed with them under Tedesco and I still think they will get Europe but yeah like you said it has closed up quite a bit now so they've just got to look over their shoulders and just be a bit careful What I like about Nikolic is one last word myself is it's quite funny how he's reacted to some of the comments from some of Lokomotiv's fans I mean Alexei mentioned it last week where a lot of the ultras and traditionalists at Loco are not fan, are not big fans of Nikolic whatsoever. Um, they want, they didn't like him from the start because of the way that Siomen was removed from his job, and a lot of them attribute this success really to his team of assistant managers. I think he's got um, Sargis Hovnizian, uh, Oleg Pashinin, and Dmitry Loskov all in in the in the backroom staff with him, and they're all like they they're Loco guys they've been at local for a very long time but what a lot of these fans were saying is that they wanted to see Lokomotiv uh, dominate games more really put the opposition on the back foot uh, control the game play the local way now I've personally find that is any team saying the end of team name here way is 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 bollocks to be honest I mean if you're successful you're successful doesn't matter what way you play of course Tiki taka possession football, whatever is easier on the eye than, than the old long ball direct. But if it's successful, then it doesn't matter. And Nikolic heard this and made Lokomotiv even more defensive, even more counter attack, and even more direct, and built the team around or built his side around it. Took big names out, others are missing through injury, and kind of made up for that loss of Alexei Maranchuk, made up for the poor first half of the season and t- totally transformed it around this new style and absolute top credit to him. Um, I think it's a little bit presumative and a little bit early to say he's the best manager in the league, but he's certainly within the conversation. And it's all around him and his tactical decisions that has caused this run. So, I mean, whoever would have thought in winter that Lokomotiv could have been the closest team to Zenit by the end of the season... If we do move down the table a little bit and go to the the, the race for Europe, there's currently five sides who are separated by just three points at the moment, with but from Siska all the way down to Sochi. Now, Richard, you caught an eye of the Dinamo's match at the weekend, a two-two draw with Ural. Were you impressed by Dinamo, or or is that a little bit of a concerning result going forwards in the race to try and get that fourth spot? The performance wasn't bad, but. Not a good result, no. Um, really could have done with winning that game, especially with Rubin since the winter break. They've been absolutely brilliant under um, Slutsky. And, you know, Lokomotiv have been revived under Nikolic, like we've been saying. So the pressure has really been on teams like Dinamo to win every single game to try and get a chance of getting into that top five. Um, and, yeah, just a disappointing result. I mean, Dinamo had enough chances to win it, um, but just couldn't quite. Couldn't quite uh, do it, you know. It's disappointing when you get it to 2-1. Obviously, the Szymanski red card played a part in that. You know, it, it didn't help them. Um, 
Lesser Boy had a strangely disappointing game too. I, I wasn't too impressed with him in that game. Uh, but the best player on the pitch for Dinamo was um, was um, Arsene Zakarian. And he really is developing and maturing at such a quick rate. I mean, for someone so young, he was, you know, he drops deep sometimes to link play. He's good at driving forward. He's got a good touch. He can just take players on. He, he's developing. He's There's vibes of Golovin about him, I think, in the way he plays for, for Dinamo and, and to show such confidence and composure at such a young age. I mean, he still makes the odd mistake every now and again, but you expect that from a young player. And it's just it's just fantastic to see him, you know, break into that first team and develop really, really quickly. He was good in the under-21s, uh, European Championships as well for Russia, a real... Uh, bright spot and you know he's eligible for the next two championships so I'd keep him within the 21s for the next the whole of the next qualification campaign for them too you know they, they they've got plentiful attacking midfielders in their squad so they might as well keep Zakarian in there and let him grow and develop and yeah I think I think Dinamo they needed to win that game I think uh, I think I think getting into the top five now is going to be difficult because although the next two games look winnable on paper in Rotor and Himke after that they've got Rubin away and then I think they've got Lokomotiv at home, uh, sorry, Lokomotiv away and Siska at home, final day of the season. So their last three games, Dinamo, are quite difficult. If I was pushed to say whether they'll finish in the top five, I'd probably say they're going to miss out. I think Dinamo are going to finish possibly sixth. But if you offer me sixth, I would take that because apparently I looked at all the last season compared to this season. Dinamo are already up on goal scored this season already surpassed last season's points tally already better goal difference so okay it's the same position that they finished but Schwartz had to come in mid-season and he's playing a lot of young players and it's just been a lot better this season regardless so long as Dinamo gets six I think this this season has been still been a successful one and that is important to realize and you know, maybe no European football next season could help them. You know, Spart- I think Spartak have benefited from not having European football. You know, it's allowed more time in between games to train train the players, and I think it's better that you know, Dinamo. If they don't, if they get Europe, great, that's fantastic. But if they don't, you know, it allows them more time next season in between to keep in between games to keep working with these young players. And crucially, I think this is a big summer. It's a big summer for them now. I think Schwartz needs to know. Identify some good transfers in the summer. I liked you carving up front for Dinamo, but I still think Dinamo need a striker. I still think they need another striker because Komachenko isn't doing anything and has fallen completely out of favour. Grulioff is a decent backup, second striker, but he's not a main out, a main outlet up front. I think Dinamo need to um, get a striker in the summer to help you carving out because you don't want to place too much burden on him. He's only 18 years of age as well, even though he's very very promising. Um, and maybe one or two other positions need looking at too. Maybe a right back, because I'm not a huge fan of Varela so far. He's been decent, but I think Dinamo can do better. And an upgrade on Ivan Ordets at, cent- at the centre of defence. And yeah, and a few more older players me moved on. Kabore in midfield, if you're not getting much use out of him, and he's a foreign player taking up a foreign spot, then you probably need to move him on. Um, Pashevyuk, I think, needs to be moved on as well at right back. He's too old now. So yeah, but I think, you know, it, it it wasn't the worst result in the world considering the circumstances of being down to 10 men, but it wasn't the best result. They really could have done with winning that game if they wanted to qualify for Europe. But like I said, there's mitigating factors mm-hmm. in all this, I think. Yeah, certainly. I think one thing that the entire Dynamo, Dynamo hierarchy with the squad and backroom staff have on their on their side is time. Schwarz has only been in since October, but he's already got a a win ratio of just under, I believe, 60%, 1.81 points per game. Pretty decent numbers for a side that's been 
around the European level for this for the whole of the season. David, have you got any last words on Dinamo's crop of young kids? Obviously, you always like to keep one or maybe both eyes on potential next generation stars, and, and it's got to be something that you're excited to watch them because, I mean, without disparaging Dinamo, perhaps it's fair to say that last year, particularly in under Novikov, they you really maybe just let them fly under the radar a little bit. But I've noticed in, in recent weeks that you have been taking more of a concerted interest upon their games with these youngsters all coming in at the same time. Yeah, Dina are definitely a, a more exciting prospect to watch this season under Schwartz. Not not just because of you know the emergence of Tukarvan and Zaharian, but you know, less of a way for, throughout the first half of the season gave them uh, you know the odd you know moment of moment of brilliance and electricity on the pitch that just makes football fun to watch, you know, rather than watching a team like I'm going to say you for obviously uh, just, you know, pass it back and forth and lump it forward or, or something like that, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I think it's fair to say at the moment <laughs> that Zaharian and Tukarvin are, are carrying are carrying Dino since the winter break. I mean, Tukarvin's got three goals and three assists since the restart and Zaharian's got three goals and one assist. And that's from mm-hmm. guys who are just 17 and 18 years old. Um you know, Zaharian, we we saw him pop up on the on the map on uh, Euros, obviously. Uh, and I was chatting with some of the fellows at, at Scout Football this week um, because they're, they're, they are very excited about him. And you know, they they cover a lot of stuff, and they come to me for for Russia. And um, they, I got a message from one of them. They said, "This guy looks like the real deal." Like they said, they spent like. An afternoon, a couple of the boys just watching clips of him, and they, they cannot believe like the level he's playing at, like his his matureness on the pitch. You know, I I don't know what I can compare him to, but he I don't know if it's a goal in, but he's it's that stature that he has. You know, he's he's so big, obviously, for a young lad already. He's already yeah. about six foot tall, um, and he's just he just has that awareness and that that sense where he gets the ball and he can you just feel he can make something happen, which as a seventeen year old is it's you know, he's hugely impressive. Um, so you know these guys, you know who I, I I respect their opinion massively. You know they they they, they pride themselves in looking at young young players around the world, and the, so so to get that from them, you know it, it's exciting. Um, and I don't know if they've even taken a proper look at Tukavan yet, who's you know he's proven himself a, a fine addition to the squad. And it's and, you know we've talked about it before. But it's it's great to see um, Schwartz put such faith in. Neo's young boys and the, the Dynamo Academy right now does seem to be one of the best uh, in the country. You know, their teams in the in the youth football league are performing well. I was having I was pouring through um, some stats from the YFL one and two, and they they've got another couple of players in there who are who are looking very very good. You just wonder, you know, how long is it going to be before he dips in there for someone else? You know, we see a lot of young players appear in, on the bench for Dynamo throughout the season, like uh, Skolik, Mosbichov. Uh, Kutitsky, Budachov, the goalie. So, um, you know, Schwartz isn't afraid to you know, bring them up and put them in the squad. Uh, and as soon as Zakarian, you know, he was in there, I think he was on the bench a couple of times before the winter break. Um, and he just gave him that one chance. He proved himself and he's just barely been barely been seen out of the team since. And the one time he was for the cup, they got played off the park by Kurlia and he didn't play. So um, I think the red card on that weekend game was the big factor, you know. Dinamo even managed to take the lead with the the 10-man deficit. And I think uh, 
if they'd had the chance to resettle themselves with 11 men, uh, they, they probably would have seen out the game. But they had 10 men, and Ural struck back very quickly uh, after they'd after you know, had taken the lead. But Grobiak obviously with a brace. So um, I think uh, the red card, you know, from Shemansky, and it was a silly one as well. It was a silly second yellow that he picked up. He, he he'll feel guilty, and and you know that. And he's good. He's had a good season too. I think uh, we we don't appreciate Shemansky's very much, you know. But we have to remember he's he's only twenty one years old, and he's played pretty much every single game this season. Not necessarily putting up the best numbers of goals and assists, um, and and it's strange, obviously, because I think he came to Russia as as a winger, but he's playing more as the central attacking midfielder uh, until Zakarian sort of displaced him uh, and Shemansky sort of having to play a lot uh, deeper I think rather than even us on the wing so um, mm-hmm. I think he's had a good season uh, and yeah Dino are, are an exciting prospect to watch you know good young talent throughout the squad you know they, they do need a couple of bits but so does so does everyone uh, you know I, I can't see the older Russians going just because of the limit um, but yeah, you, you fancy that um, if there's investment in the squad like like there has been over the last couple of years at Dinamo, then, may, then maybe they'll be able to go out and do do something else. It's clear why Buvac brought in Schwarz at Dinamo. Of course, he trusts him from when Buvac was Klopp's assistant at Mainz. Uh, Schwarz was his was the captain of the team, but Schwarz has this same record in in Mainz. Now he wasn't necessarily overly successful at Mainz. He was sacked as head coach after just under two years in charge. But one thing that he is generally accepted in German football circles is that he did bring through a lot of youngsters and that's Mainz, what Mainz do. Mainz have got a very successful academy, always have done for in, in recent memory anyway. And and it's obvious why Buvac brought him in. Now, to move from one team in the race for Europe to another team, and that's your own team, David. How did Rubian get on at the weekend, and do you think they could finish fourth? They were there for, what, all of two days until Siska won? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what, we... Against Rostov, it was it was one of those games. It was it was not as cut and dry as, as you know, I might have hoped it would, it would be. Um, you know, it, it was a slow burn... And you know, and we've only scored. I mean, only won. You know, from a from a cracking long strike from from Yevtich in the end. Um, but it was tough, and it was a much it was a it was a needed win. Um, you know, we we lost them earlier in the season two nil. They're they're technically still one of the rivals in there for for the race for Europe. I think they asked they're now six points down on us, but they're they're still there roundabouts. And if they'd beaten us, then they would have definitely had. I mean, they still do have a better head to head record, but we've now got the six point cushion. If they beat us, they would have gone ahead of us because they have the head-to-head win uh, record over us this season. So yeah, big win needed was needed. And uh, no, we put up a good performance. Uh, Rostov had a lot of the play, had more shots, but I don't remember them having a lot of dangerous chances. I never, I never felt like our goal was a threat. Um, but at the same time, we we weren't creating a great deal uh, of dangerous chances. Uh, Huang, Huang and Bon finally came back after having three months out with an ankle injury. It was actually his his wayward pass. He, he tried a crossfield ball and he sort of just scuffed it and he went straight to Baramyan. And uh, he got caught napping. Despot nabbed it off him, laid it off to Yevdich and he, he smashed it in top corner. So 
Uh, and as, it was funny, actually, as Slutsky was sending Huang onto the pitch, I heard him say in English to Huang, you know, you can change this game. Uh, which he obviously did, obviously, from a, from a part he didn't intend. But um, And he, he was looking a bit... He wasn't looking uh, 100%, but it's it's good to have him back for the end of the season. You know, we've been... We played the last few weeks with Musayev and Yevtic in the centre midfield with, with Abulgar behind him. Uh, Musayev, he, he's been okay. I, you know, when we signed him, I was I was not really behind the move. I was never been overly, overly impressed with him at, at Zenit, and he's not done enough really to to convince me that he should stay in the team. Um, but he, he's done. He's filled the gap certainly. He, he's filled the gap. Um, it was a it was a quite a game from creature on this particular occasion. Uh, Makara of, of the two wingers was was the better uh, on this occasion. Kriich obviously played the full the full match, but big win, you know, big big win. Um, it's crazy, you know, that 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 at that point we were we were just uh, four four points off you, like, and mm. if if you'd beaten Loco and then we go and you know go on and keep our run on, then it was it was crazy to think that we had a chance of even finishing top four, and technically we still do. We've got to go and play Dinamo still. Um, so, so you know, it's. I'm just taking every game as it comes right now. I'm, I'm very happy that we're having a good season, um, and going away to Rostov is a game we wouldn't have won in past seasons. I don't think. Um, yeah. So the fact that we've gone and done it this year after on the back of uh, a win against Sochi, which we would never normally have gotten as well, and obviously wins against Spartak is. It's just a very encouraging run that the Kimki came aside, and I'm just hoping we've we've got a couple of. "Quote unquote easy fixtures, Ural this week, uh, and the Rotor and Arsenal also to play. I'm just hoping that we can actually make those count. You know, um, over the winter break, we played a few of those teams in friendlies, and we we were comfortable. Uh, but in the first half of the season, we sometimes struggled against the weaker teams. But I think we maybe have changed that up, and I'm hoping we'll we'll turn that around. So, yeah, very very happy that we're up there. And I wonder if Europe will be too soon for us. Obviously, the, the vultures will be be around for creature this summer so it'll be interesting to see what happens with the squad um but yes very 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 happy at the moment with, with the team i think ruben's first team is solid and but i do worry if they have the depth with a potentially european campaign and perhaps missing out maybe to the long-term benefit the problem is is whether or not you can do the same without Kavicha, which it it does seem quite nailed on. Mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, no. there's, there's in some areas there's good depth if the squad was all fit. Obviously, like we're missing, we're missing Saito and Huang in midfield at the moment, and Shatov as well. And they're three players who could well be starting. You know, Yevtic and Musayev for most of the season have been on the bench, and they're the starting duo right now. Which is uh, just goes to show how well we're still playing, even with you know what not what people would class as our best players. Uh, but yeah, with players like Kostyukov and certainly defence, the you know, Gritsenko and uh, Begit as the as the backup centre halves, um, there are areas where we're lacking, and and certainly in goal, you know, mid the diff, uh, as the backup goalie is not not ideal at all. So yeah, hopefully we can uh, do something. You know, the club seems to be in a stable position right now. Um, so yeah, and obviously if if Kreech goes, then we could have a fair bit of money to our, to ourselves as well. I know he's only 25, and he does look better every time I see him. Obviously, Ruben's style helps, but I'm not, still not totally convinced by Karl Starfelt either. I think Aramovich really does 
dominate that partnership and maybe makes up for in his excellence sometimes the what star felt lacks so slightly um but yeah Ruben very good season lots of talented players throughout the squad as well and I think the first team is the spine of that first team is very very strong Despot Abdul Gore Uremovic and Jupin I mean that's right up there with the European level to move further down the table now we do have after the the spate of European teams who are slightly very close to each other we've got Kim Keat in 8th place on 38 points and then Slowly down to Ural in 12th on 30 points now. In what is a quite a tight-packed midfield and uh, mid-table and includes Krasadov for the first time in, in quite a long time as well. So I'll mention Ahmat. Ahmat are currently 11th with 32 points and they actually lost 3-0 at the weekend away to Ufa. Ufa, of, of course, as we mentioned last week, just recently been taken over by Alexis Tukalov, uh, formerly of Velez Moscow. Um, Ufa didn't really, we just discussed this pre-pod, and Ufa didn't really look totally different in terms of their approach play. It was the usual the usual attacking movement of the usual, everything was very similar off the ball when they would, they would revert back to two very deep lines, try and pack the middle, um, surrender, surrender territory out wide, but keep it tight in the middle of the pitch. On the ball, it was once again, lots of short passing and, and then go for the jugular, go for that quick long counter. But the movement was really good. The The first goal in particular, the movement by Krotov to, to switch play and, and then get the pass back was really nice. But obviously Stokalov's only been there for two or three days. But what I was impressed by was just that Ufa just looked like the shackles were off. They actually had a go and were like 10, 15 yards up the pitch the previous. I mean, obviously in such a short amount of time, you can't expect much tactical difference. You can't expect them to have much of an impact beyond the typical managerial bounce and and this and what he did do and in, in, in t- potentially taking the shackles off and saying, look, go for it. If we're going to get relegated, we're not going to get relegated without a fight. But if they play like that, there's no way they'll get relegated. I thought they really did look like a totally different team from just such a little, a little change. And maybe it is the bounce. Maybe it is just purely because he's let them go for it. But what I do like about Stakalov is he was impressive in the way he held himself. Rakimov, very reserved, very traditional. Yevseyev, also quite a reserved guy, quite insightful and interesting to listen to, but very calm, calming influence. Stakalov went wild when he scored the first, and then with each increasing more, in each goal, he was increasingly more and more fervent on the side of the pitch. In his press conference afterwards as well, he was very charismatic. And that sort of charismatic leader is definitely something that a struggling team often needs to turn form around even if it is just in the short term they can latch onto that and, and he could basically take them under the wing and, and, and get them going it's something that say someone like big sam's been doing in england for he's made a career out of i mean he's a fraud apart from that but he makes a career out of turning around struggling sides and look what he's doing with his side right now and Ufa just look a, a step above some of their relegation rivals, which we'll get onto in a second. Akhmat, though, were absolutely dreadful. <laughs> they went from brilliant performance last week against Krasnodar with a 5-0 win. And here they couldn't even defend. Of course, Andrei Semyonov was absent. And in his absence, they were really all over the place at the back. The 
The third goal was a, a deflection, but very little Georgi Shelley I could do about it. But the way the deflection happened was just like a lazy leg out. It was like one of those half-fast sort of, oh, I'll just get something on this and then I can try and avoid blame. It was one of those where he, he, the defender never looked committed. I think it was, uh, oh, was it was Nenakov or I can't remember the top of my head, but it was, it was really poor. Um, the entire entire defence was just all over the place. It was really not like what we've seen this season from Akhmat because Akhmat are less ponderous under Talalayev. They... They do play more direct, but they're also far more organised defensively. And I can imagine Talalai have read them the riot act after the match because he's quite a fiery, fiery character himself. But very poor. And also in, in mid-table from one poor side, poor performance to another. Um, I do get the impression that part of Akhmat's excellent 5-0 win against Krasnodar was because Krasnodar are just so bloody terrible right now. Uh, of course, it was the first game under Viktor Goncharenka. And they just, it looked like they had exactly the same problems. They were, they've got a weak spine and an ability to deal with any kind of phys- physicality once again showed up. They they just looked like a players who are, a set of players who are bereft of confidence and are, are des- truly desperate for a break to come of, of any form, just to restart, reset and refresh after what was a quite a gutting exit in the, in the Europa League. They... The only real chance was from Wanderson in the first half, which was twenty yards out, quite an easy save. And yeah, there just there was just nothing about them whatsoever. Arsenal weren't particularly brilliant either. I thought Lutsenko was causing all sorts of problems up top. Pantaleev set pieces again was re- really effective, but they didn't ask too many questions of Krasnodar. Um, the goal was brilliant. Uh, Chaucic brought the ball down. Uh, one touch and then volleyed it bottom corner from from the edge of the box. It was a really nice little finish, but Krasnodar just offered absolutely nothing. Uh, Pofyonov in charge of Arsenal, he's kind of famous for his size, which are defensively all over the place. When he was at Ural, it's some of the worst defending you've seen in the Premier League in recent times. And, and Krasnodar just didn't expose that whatsoever. They look like an ageing side who are desperate for a little bit of a refresh and of course Goncharenko has brought in Vasily Berezutsky but Richard if you I'll let you go do you think what do you think of Goncharenko's first game in charge at Krasnodar well obviously yeah, I was absent in the pod last week and that's when it was confirmed um, I didn't actually see this game James um, but I'll, I'll just give my um, brief opinion on it uh, the Goncharenko appointment I think it's one of those appointments where has he not jumped in too soon? I feel that's that's my overriding view of this because let's not forget as well this time last year Goncharenko was on a one week sabbatical back in his native Belarus and we we discussed it before on previous pods, haven't we? With it was it was it angina problems and stress related stuff. So it just seems a bit strange just a week or two after leaving Siskar, you know, after his four year spell at Siskar came to an end acrimoniously to to leave that and then just a week later jump straight back into it especially when this time last season you know you were dealing with stress related stuff i'm not sure jumping straight back in to a stressful environment like Crestadar right now where they're struggling like mad and just waiting for the season to finish is is really the best course of action i think he should have really just sat sat away from football management for a couple of months refreshed to jump straight back in i think is I wouldn't have advised it. 
Um, we'll have to see how it goes. Obviously, I think you know, Crestar is still a good opportunity club. It's you know, it's it's still a club which can do a lot. Um, you know, we we've all been impressed with them over the years of how this privately run club has, you know, put itself amongst the elite of Russian football, and we do like want to see them succeed and do well. But obviously, at the minute, this is a difficult moment for them. They're going through a rebuilding phase. There's definitely going to be a bit of a clear out in the summer, one would think. And I'm just a bit, a bit worried about um, Goncharenko, you know, jumping in, into this too soon. I mean, I saw the shortlist of managers who they interviewed. You know, I, I saw that, uh, wasn't there, um, a, uh, one of the guys on the shortlist is a young Russian manager. Isn't he coached in Kazakhstan at the moment and has coached in the RB Leipzig youth. I've forgotten his name escapes me, but um, I would have quite liked to have seen someone like him get a go. He seemed, he, he seems anyway, like someone would have been quite progressive and, you know, and would have offered a freshness. Whereas I think with Goncharenko, I'm just a bit worried that it's jumping in a bit too, too early here. I think they, they probably should have, you know, uh, he probably should have sat it out and waited till, till the summer before taking a job. But obviously we'll have to see how it goes. I think my overwhelming problem with Goncharenka and at Krasnodar is that a lot of the same issues which plague the current Krasnodar team have been quite similar to the issues that he himself has overseen at Siska in recent years. A lot of the the same, I mean, soft underbelly maybe that he could excuse uh, excuse Siska of having is there, is present at Krasnodar. I'm not quite sure if Goncharenka is the man to come in and solve Krasnodar's problems, to be quite quite honest. But he has brought with him Vasily Belazutsky, who left his role at Siska as a coach and the defensive, basically defensive organiser, which if he comes in and makes an impact, that will help Krasnodar tenfold because their defenders are either mistake-prone or just well past it. Matinovic is turning 36 soon and Lutsenka absolutely destroyed him at the weekend. Now, speaking of getting destroyed most weekends, we'll quickly finish off with a little little run look down at the, the relegation battle. Um, that has been the same this week as it has been the same for what seems all year long, pretty much. But there was actually two wins in the relegation battle for the for two sides in the, within this battle for the first time in the winter. Of course, I mentioned Ufa with their 3-0 win over Ahmad. Uh, I also want to mention about Ufa that I thought Moritz Bauer actually had a very good game at right at right wing back. It was only his second appearance since joining on loan from Stoke in England. And, and unfortunately for Ufa, Arsenal, which I mentioned earlier, then went on to win. But Tambov and Rotter both lost again. That's Tambov's sixth or seventh loss in a row now. And Rotter was lost against Siska 2-0. Richard, you also caught the Rotter Siska game. What we, we, are you a little bit worried for them and their lack of anything going forward? Really, just twelve goals scored in twenty-five games. I mean, it's just not very good, is it? And uh, I think Ufa under Stukalov, I think are going to be all right. You know, at least you're seeing something from them, like they showed in that game against um, Akmat. But yeah, just Rotter just looked really, really poor. You know, they didn't offer much against Siska. Okay, of course, it's a difficult game, but to say they offered they offered less than Tamboff did against Siska the week before, and, and that really is saying something given how much of a basket case Tamboff is at the moment. 
Um, it's yeah, I, I can't see any hope for them. I think I think Rotor, I think I think Rotor are going to go down as a second automatic team with with Tamboff. I can't see anything from them really. They just they don't score enough goals without Flamari on the pitch. They just don't seem to score. They just don't offer much. The coaching change still early doors, but you'd expect it a little bit more, especially against the Cisco side who themselves are, on, are under new management. You know, Olic is only his second game. I'll just quickly touch on Cisco because we seem to forget about them early, just very, very quickly. Looked better the second week under Olic. First week was disappointing the Tamboff. Obviously, they needed those penalties to get them home against the side bottom of the league. But you saw some quicker transitional play from between the lines in, in, in stages from Olic this week. I will say that. Uh, UK, I thought, had a good game. Um, so the attacking line were quite good. So an improvement for Molich. Um, it's still very early doors, and you know he couldn't have he could have couldn't have handpicked two better opponents to start off with in Tamboff and Rotto if he'd have tried. But but it was an improvement the second week. So um, you know he is hoping that the improvement continues in the next few weeks and um, that he can make it a success. And um, and yeah, but Rotto, yeah, I can't see any hope for them. Unfortunately, they just they just don't score. They they offer very little up front. Yeah, I think Rotter are probably going to drop down. I wouldn't. I really wouldn't be surprised if they joined Tampov and and they returned to the Fenel at the first time of asking. If we do mention the Fenel right at the end, David, any team in particular that we want to want to highlight from this weekend's Fenel fixtures? Um, I, I I've been enjoying Tom Tomsk um, after. After the winter break, you know, they, they won again this weekend away at Baltica, which was a big dent to Baltica's uh, promotion uh, hopes. I mean, they're still in with a chance, but, you know, at home, Tom Tom's you know, they've been hoping for a win, but they've been on good form. And uh, uh, Kozhikov's getting his uh, young squad playing playing quite well, or, or not not necessarily well, but, you know, playing and, and winning, which even if you're not playing well that and winning, that's always important. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was that was that was a good good result for them. Uh, Vélez got the win after after um, Stugarov left, and he actually left them in some quite bad form. Granted, it was a way to uh, Chartanova, so that was an easy one for them really. But but um, yeah, uh, Nishni got a big win away at Scar. It's a, it's a big big old distance, and Scar's a difficult place to go over in Cavaros. But they they got a win out there, uh, so that was a good one for them, uh, and you know keeps them right in there. In the uh, in the chances for for promotion up to the to the top flight, so I think we've got a couple of interesting races. We've got Spartak and Krasnodar too, who are both sort of just lingering above the relegation spots, uh, with Akron just uh, three points off Krasnodar and two points off Spartak. And I think I think we'd all be in agreement that we we'd prefer to see uh, established teams like Akron and Irtish or even Tom Tomsk if they continue their form, who are a little bit further adrift, uh, climb up and. And see Spartak and Krasnodar too uh, go down. While while it's good to get those those young players' experience at the Fenial, uh, they could always do it by going online. Uh, no need for you know it's always good, obviously, that the whole squad can play there. But um, with the limit that's in place in the Fenial, where every team has to have an under twenty one player in play at all times, even if they went down, there's still chances for for players to go out online and get experience in squads full of older players rather than playing in a squad full of young players. So. I think I'd be happy to see Akron come up. They've been on some not too bad form after the winter break, actually winning some games. Um, so yeah, some some big races at both ends. Uh, big game this week between Alani and Torpedo, who are fourth and fifth, and uh, I believe free entry as well. So we could see a big crowd down there. 
Um, and plenty of goals because both those mm-hmm. have been scoring pretty freely. So, yeah, some, some interesting races going on. Uh, some stuff already done. Shinnick finally officially relegated for the first time in 50 years. They'll be playing in the third tier. And Krillia, not officially up yet. They have officially secured top four, but um, game in hand still over Nizhny and still, still look like they're going to cruise to the title at this point. Yeah, no surprises there. Richard, any last word on the Finnell? Just briefly on um, Alexander Kurtzikoff at Tom. I haven't seen any of their games, but some of the results he's been getting have been really impressive. And um, and I'm beginning to wonder, even if they don't manage to pull off this great escape, I wonder if he will be interesting a number of Fennel clubs. You know, I intriguingly on our chat midweek wondered if he, you know, could have been a cat, could be a cat. I don't know whether Velez have got a replacement for Stukarlov yet, but that could be something to watch. You know, a young a young private club based in southern Moscow, because obviously that's a lot more attractive when you're trying to bring in players and everything like that than out in the middle of Siberia, with with all due respects to Tom Tomsk. But um, I have a funny feeling that, you know, Kurtzikov, even if Tom stay up or go down, I still think he'll probably be moving on in the summer. And, you know, he the next step up for him could be a Velez sort of club. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where, where Kurtzikov ends up. He's, he's certainly giving it a good go with that young set of players in um, in Tomsk. Um, I, I want them to stay up as well. I think, you know, third who's him for dropping into the Fenny Hour and learning his trade and um, yeah but it'd be interesting to see where he goes at the end of the summer regardless of whether sorry when the summer comes regardless of whether Tom stay up or not yeah. I mean I, I want to just shout out one of those players I think we've talked about him before but um, Nikita Kudipsov at Tom Tomsk still on some excellent form the 18 year old and uh, I was sort of crunching the crunching the numbers in the, in the Fenny Hour over, over the weekend on Instat like just looking at you know just how good his numbers tally up, and he's right up there when it comes to uh, successful dribbles and percentage of dribbles. He's right up there in terms of chance creation as well, and that's in just eight matches as an eighteen-year-old in, in his first time playing in the division for for a struggling team as well. So um, it, it's there's some real promise with this kid, I think, and you know he's he's only online, so uh, Torpedo, I think it's Vladimir are going to get some. Some good percentages and sell-ons, I think, on this on this boy. He's he's really quite something to watch. Yeah, and that is why Tophead will send him out on loan to a higher division. I've seen a few people ask about that. Is why does this happen so often where Fennel clubs get players on loan from the pay for L? And it, it's as simple as that. They these Fennel clubs like Tom cannot afford to buy them outright. Um and say if Tophead or Vladimir sends sends them out on loan and then does well like he is for Tom Tomsk and they but then basically it's it's basically putting him in a shop window at a higher level and so it, it, it's it's one of those funny little idiosyncrasies that you see that's a result of essentially what is the financial troubles at that level on Kershikov it would be quite funny to see him say go to Moscow if it's Velez or Torpedo or whoever um, just because it would thoroughly annoy a lot of the Lanskrona that he is crossing that Moscow-St. Petersburg divide, which some of them, for some reason, cared far too much about. And with that, (laughs) we've reached the end of this week's podcast. The Cup of Russia draw took place midweek, and that was Akhmat versus Krilia, which will take place in Grozny. And Lokomotiv hosts Siska at the RZD, both on Wednesday evening. In terms of covering a little bit of extra side news, it's been actually a relatively quiet week this week in terms of off the pitch. The biggest news since we last recorded is probably that former Zenit director Javier Rebolta 
since left leaving Zenit has taken over at Parma in the Serie A. While Russian referee Sergei Lepochkin has been suspended from partaking in any football-related activity for 90 days. In 2018, Lepochkin refereed a Europa League second qualifying round match between Ventspils of, of Latvia and Bordeaux. Before the game, he was approached apparently to influence the outcome of the game, which is UEFA for match-fixing. Lepochkin refused that offer but has been subsequently banned for 90 days three years later because they found out about it now, or well, in March when it happened. Um, And basically it's because of his his failure to report the incident to the relevant UEFA-affiliated body at the time. So a little bit of a a funny one that appeared in the news feeds this week. Uh, The last bit of news really is there was an incident in the Moscow derby between... Guilherme and the uh, Spartak Ultras, the Fratria. Um, all the videos are either blurry or have had the sound removed, so it's a little bit difficult to see what goes on, but it's clear that Guilherme is late on in the game, Loco winning 2-0. Guilherme is provoked in some form by chanting, you would presume, or something by the Spartak fans. He turns around, shouts at them, goads them, uh, little time pause. Obviously, all the videos have no sound, so you can't hear what is said to him or what is chanted towards him. He is then provoked again by the fans, and he, I believe, he kicks a water bottle, isn't it, off the, of the hoardings, off the side hoardings. Um, a little bit of an incident. You would think it's nothing. Uh, there are a few have actually officially given Spartak fans a warning and have fined Guilherme himself. And this is all in a week where. Uh, a, a very fiery disciplinary committee of the RFU took place where Guramajoyev, Gia Grigalava, and uh, Alexei Belozutsky has been uh, Belozutsky have been banned for Russian Cup matches due to a brawl following the Arsenal Tula Siska game. That's uh, Alexei, sorry, not Vasily Belozutsky. Um, Guilherme have been banned for two matches for offensive chance aimed at Spartak fans as well. That was it, not just a fan, a fine, sorry. Um, Spartak were also given a conditional stadium ban and a fine due to their fans' racial slash offensive chance against Guilherme. Now, you don't know what that was said again. been left very quiet. The videos are hard to hear. Um, Spartak have actually released a statement distancing themselves from the fans and condemning all forms of racism, xenophobia and abuse, which is better than nothing, but Nothing will change, to be honest, unless more concrete things are done about this. Um, it's a little bit of a damp squib, in my opinion. Uh, especially as Zenit have been fined for the presence of a neo-Nazi banner in the sands in the same week. So it's all a, a little bit as you were. Um, very disappointing reaction, particularly from the authorities and how they've dealt with it. Just like the UEFA reaction to the Glen Kamara incident has been equally disgraceful as well. But this needs dealt with, and unfortunately I can't get much more into it right now, short of time, but I think it's one that we, sh- we will be revisiting during the, during the break between the two seasons. And with that, that is the end of this week's RFN podcast. We'll be back at the usual time next week as Match TV's Misha Polinov makes his return to the pod. Until then, this has been the Russian Football News Podcast. Goodbye for now.
его беги, точнее его ударь. Но мяч берет с ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечок. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет.